<laughs> good morning, good morning, Sycamore, Sycamore View. It's great to see those of you in person and all of you joining us virtually. Thank you for being with us. Every Sunday, we still have over 200 screens that are participating in our worship services. So thank you for not just being a spectator, but a participant. We are calling the month of August a plunge month for us, or plunge initiatives beginning next Sunday. I'm going to have a four-week teaching series called Plunge. What does it mean for us to take the next step in our faith? Now, a, a series or initiative called Plunge is not something you could do in January or February in Memphis, but it fits a July and an August teaching time and, and just a month of the year. How good did a plunge feel this past week for many of you? Now, I wasn't in Memphis this past week. We were going on vacation, but I know it was smoking hot. And we got home yesterday to a house that the AC doesn't work. So even this morning, a plunge sounds really, really good. Now, here's one thing I love about Jesus. A lot of things I love about Jesus. When Jesus calls people into relationship with himself, the phrase Jesus chooses to use more than any other phrase, more than you saying, accept me, uh, Jesus says, follow me. It's what Jesus uses to invite people into relationship. It's what Jesus continues to use to invite people deeper into relationship. So what is that next step for you in your life? Now today, we want to finish a series that we've been in now throughout this entire summer called Storylines, where we've been looking at stories in the Bible where people set up altars as a way to remember something God did or a way to remember a covenant that was established between people. And uh, I know from January through June was a wild, at least a wild season for me, and I've been able to take a little time off over the last six weeks, or I was here a week, gone a week, and so thankful for Joshua Jackson, Eric Wilson, Jim Hinkle for stepping up and preaching powerful words before this church. And uh, this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. I have, uh, I've saved this story for this day for multiple reasons. I wanted it to be a, the story that we close this series out on. And today is also Mission Celebration Sunday. So here in just a little while, you're going to hear from a few of our teenagers as we celebrate and give voice to a lot of things God did in the lives of our youth group members and students throughout this summer and some of the activities they were able to engage in. Storylines has been really important. I think this is a really helpful way for you just to think about all of life. And the whole idea of storylines, and even in the Old Testament when people built altars, it was a way to look behind, like see what happened so that you could move forward into the future. So every altar that was established was a way to remember the past so that it could send you into the future. It wasn't a way for you to just live in the past. It was to acknowledge what God has done in the past so that you can move into the future. This is a great way for you to think about life and faith and I know where it really becomes a challenge for some of you is when it comes to trauma. Like, how do you think about trauma that has happened in your life? And what I've talked about throughout this entire summer with this series is it's not just that you remember things that have happened in the past. It's how do you remember them? It's not just that you do, but how do you do it? How do you remember trauma that has happened in your life? How do you think and reflect on grief that has happened? This is so important right now for heated debates and arguments that you see taking place, even with critical race theory. It's not just that you remember things that have happened in the past, but how do you remember them? And now that we know that the pandemic hasn't gone away, it's still here. And years from now, we're going to reflect back. And it's not just that we reflect back on the pandemic, but how do we reflect back on the 18 months plus that we've lived in in a pandemic? For, for youth group students, if you've, as you've engaged in mission trips and church camps and things throughout the summer, it's not just that you remember these things, but how do you remember them? How do you remember them in a way that it propels you into the future? 
In Exodus chapter 17, there's this moment. I, I love this verse. Or in this moment, there's this one verse, and we're going to build up to it here in just a little while. But it's Moses, and it says, Moses built an altar, and he called it, The Lord is my banner. Right? This is like an anthem. And especially in a season right now where I don't know if you're keeping up with the Olympics or not, but you're seeing banners and flags. I was able to be in Greece a few weeks ago with one of our missionaries, Dino, and there were flags everywhere. I mean, Athens is where the Olympics began, and, and not just flags from people who lived in Greece, but there are people who live in Greece from all over the world, and you saw all these banners and flags, and, and usually when you think of banners, like hanging outside of, the, uh, of a home, you think of uh, college football or college affiliation, or, or you think about an American flag or a flag that represents a country, but when it comes to your life, what is the banner you fly in your life? Moses says, the Lord is my banner. And maybe the way to ask the question isn't just what banner do you think you're flying in your life, but if, if we were to ask people around you, what would they say is the banner that you're flying in your life? Moses says, the Lord is my banner. Now, this is a story about responsibility. It's a story in Exodus 17 about a battle that is fought. There's a threat. There's a battle. There's victory. There's a banner. There's an altar that is built. It's a story about encouragement. It's a story about teamwork, companionship, partnership. It's a story about how you hold responsibility. Have you ever been given responsibility to carry something that was of great value? Maybe when you're helping someone move into their house, you, you end up with that box of like the family china or a box of something valuable and when you carry that box you watch your step a little closer than if you're carrying a box of sheets right and maybe you've had responsibility of carrying something that was precious like you just didn't want it to fall like a birthday cake or a wedding cake so this is fun I just want you to see this video and there's no on but this is a guy who was given responsibility to carry this wedding cake, and you probably knew something like that was about to happen, where he drops it, and, and, and it's caught on video, which is the worst, right? Like, it's not just that you dropped it, it's, it's caught on video. And here's, here's what I love. The person on video is, like, ex examining the damage, and then just pops it back on. Five-second rule, right? We're good. It looks okay. Doesn't look damaged. Just go down to Walgreens, get a little icing, put it on top. You're good to go. How many of you have ever dropped a wedding cake or a birthday cake? Do we have anybody here who has? This is show fans, we got a few, right? I remember dropping my aunt's anniversary cake on a mission trip with our youth group one time. And so, so for probably most of you here in this room, most of you watching online, maybe you've never dropped a birthday cake or an anniversary cake, but you've been given responsibility before to carry at some point in your life, and you dropped the responsibility. You just dropped it. And in dropping the responsibility, there are times where you may lose your job over it or it hurt relationships. Think about Moses in his life. For the first 40 years of Moses' life, he lived in Egypt. He was given responsibility of leadership. He was given responsibility to oversee a lot of tasks that were happening within Egypt. The next 40 years of Moses' life, he was a shepherd. He was given responsibility where he used his hands to care for sheep. And caring for sheep, you're both caring for sheep and you're also fighting off anything that's trying to get the sheep. And then the third set of 40 years in Moses' life, he's given the responsibility to lead God's people into a new land. And with his hands, he's carrying his staff and he's putting staff in water and God parts the sea. He's putting his staff up against a rock and God's providing clean water for people. Like Moses was given responsibility in Exodus 17. There's responsibility that's given to Moses. Here's how the story goes in Exodus 17 beginning in verse 8. The, Amal uh, the Amalekites 
came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him. And they sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar, and he called it, the Lord is my banner. Now this is shortly after the people of God have left Egypt and they're traveling to a new land. And we're told that when the people of God left Egypt, in Exodus chapter 13, you're told this. As they left Egypt, if you go to this next verse, it says this. As they left, now we know that they plundered the Egyptians, meaning that they were able to take a lot of stuff with them. But I don't know how much you could take in a time when you did not have U-Hauls, you didn't have trailers, you didn't have F-150s. But we know that they're taking pots and pans and things of value. They're taking tambourines. And then they also took weapons of war. We're told that when they left Egypt, if you'll throw that next verse up there in Exodus chapter 13, we're told that they left prepared for battle is what it says they're prepared for battle now if you have just left slavery if you've just left bondage and oppression battle is probably not the thing that you want to engage in on your journey to freedom but right here like we know in exodus 13 they knew that as they left a a place of bondage going to a new land that the journey to freedom wasn't going to be easy the journey to freedom is rarely easy The journey to freedom for mental health, physical health, spiritual health, it's never easy. Every Tuesday night, we have people meet up here, celebrate recovery, and, and, and every Tuesday night, they are reminded there is a journey to freedom that has been given to you by God, but it's never easy. And sometimes we may question people, like, how, how, were you, how did you relapse so easy? But if you've ever been there, you know how it can be so easy to relapse. The journey to freedom is never easy. Coming out of any addiction, any bondage is never easy. And as they left Egypt, they're prepared for battle. Now in Deuteronomy, at the very end of Deuteronomy, years, decades later, Moses is reflecting back on this moment with the Amalekites, this battle. And here's what Moses says. It says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So as the people of God decades later reflected back on Exodus chapter 17, the way they reflected on it was not just that the Amalekites were coming after all of the people, it's that they were coming after them as they were vulnerable. They were weak. Now, the way Satan is described in the Bible, one of the ways Satan is described in 1 Peter chapter 5 is that Satan is like a lion. And often the way Satan works is Satan tries to lure you in your strength just to get your focus off just a little bit, but preys on us in our vulnerability. Satan tries to lure you in your strength, but prey on you in your weakness and vulnerability. And the way this moment is remembered by the people of God In Exodus 17, the way this whole battle is remembered, and this is the only battle you have in their 40-year journey in the wilderness. It's the only time you have them engaging an enemy in war. 
And the way it is remembered is that the Amalekites came after them in their weakness. While they were vulnerable, they came after them. Now in Exodus 17, there's a battle. And some of you right now in your life, it feels like a battle. It feels like a battle for your mental health. Maybe it feels like a battle in your marriage or for your family. It feels like a battle just going through the pandemic. Like you feel like you're in a battle. In Exodus 14, 14, one way that God tells people that God's going to deal with the battle. In Exodus 14, 14, this is a moment when the Egyptians are coming after the people of God. They have just left Egypt, and now the Egyptians are coming after them, and they're scared, they're fearful. And the way this battle went down is God said, you stand still, you open your eyes, and you watch how I'm going to do this battle. In Exodus 14, 14, it says the Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. One of the ways God fights our battle sometimes is God says, just sit down, and I'm going to take care of this. God's going to fight a battle. But there are times where all you need to do is sit still, reflect on God, open your eyes and see what God does. Now this is not the only way God engages in battle. That there are other times throughout the Bible and even today when it comes to spiritual battle, when it comes to you uh, just going through life, God invites us into partnership and to companionship. Or sometimes God's asking you to do something. So it's not just God saying, I need you to watch what I do. It's God saying, I need you to see what I do and I need you to do something too. And sometimes in life, this is God saying, I need you to take a step. I need you to speak a word. I need you to reach out a generous hand. Like, I need you to do something. I'm asking you to move. I'm asking you to do something. There is partnership. And the way it works in Exodus 17 is there's a fight. And this is the first time you see the name Joshua show up. And Joshua is a military leader. There's a battle that's happening. And Moses stays up on a mountain. And when Moses' hands are up, the people of God are winning. And when Moses' hands are down, the people of God are losing. Now, I tried to read a few things on this. Trying to wrap my mind both how to apply this and how to understand it. Because I think we read the Exodus 17 and it encourages us. What do, we, what do we do with this? And there are three possibilities of what happened in Exodus 17. Exodus 17. One possibility is this was a prayer posture by Moses. Now you don't have Moses praying. It doesn't say Moses was praying. But for an entire day, there is a prayer posture. And this is a prayer posture you see throughout, especially the Old Testament, where there are leaders who come before God with raised hands in prayer. And possibly this was a prayer posture as Moses is praying and as Moses is praying within the spiritual realm, there is strength that is given to God's people. Option two is this is folklorish. Because this does have a little feel of like a Lord of the Rings moment, right? Where as Moses lifts up a staff really high, there's like energy that goes from the staff to all the people. When you read it, it sounds kind of weird, but there are weird things that happen with the staff that's in Moses' hands throughout the first five books of the Bible. When Moses holds up a staff or puts a staff in water, it parts. When Moses uses a staff and touches a rock in the wilderness, in the desert, there's clean water that comes from it. But option three is this, and I think this may be, this may be more in, in, in alignment with what happened, is that Moses is holding up the staff of God. And the staff of God represented the hand of God that had been at work in the lives of God's people. And as people fighting a battle look up and see the staff of God being held high, they remember what God has done. 
And as we reflect back on what God has done, we are reminded of the strength that God continues to give us right now in the present day and into the future. So in your life, who have been those people who have kept your hands up? Can you identify them? I mean, in no way am I Moses, but I've been in a leadership role over half of my life. And I identify people, just in my 14 years of preaching in this church, I can think of people who have kept my hands raised, sometimes in moments when I felt really weak and really vulnerable. Every Sunday morning for 14 years, John French, one of the elders of this church, sends me a text message telling me he's praying for me. He does it so consistently, when he misses a Sunday, I usually call to make sure John's still alive. And there have been times when John's been on a horseback riding trip or he's snow skiing in the mountains and he doesn't have cell reception and he will get in a vehicle and drive to where he can have cell reception to send me a Sunday morning text to tell me he loves me and he's praying for me. I've had two personal shepherds since I've been here, Tom Alexander for about seven years and Patrick Parson for about seven years, who have often gone out of their way to encourage my heart. I think of the Bellamy's, I think of Foreman's, I think of the Lane's, the Hall's, and the list could go on. Joe Ward and others who have surrounded me and, and, and so many times keeping my, my heart, arms up, keeping my, my heart uplifted. I'll never forget when my sister died back in 2010. And the funeral was being held in Fort Worth and there were people in this church who rented out a bus to drive all the way to be a part of a funeral and to see all of you walking in some of you at 3 a.m. you woke up to get on a bus to go to Fort Worth just to be with my family to keep our hands up I want to encourage you to think of people in your life who have kept your hands raised have reminded you there is victory that comes in God that is over all of your circumstances in life and I encourage you to shoot them a text message today and just say today at church we talked about Exodus 17 when there were people who kept kept Moses' arms raised because there was a battle happening and people needed to be reminded that there's victory in God over all circumstances. And I just wanted to thank you for being one of those people in my life. And just see what God will do in that encouragement. Right now, I want to invite Logan and Fawn to come and join me just for a moment. Because one of the ways I love thinking about Exodus 17 and one of the reasons I wanted to save it for this Sunday was I think this is a great way to reflect on uh, this past summer. So I'm going to ask Logan and Fawn a couple of questions, and then you're going to hear from a few of our teenagers. And let me just start with this, and we haven't like, processed this to see what your responses are going to be, but what do you like about Exodus 17? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think, you know, we come to a, a battle story, in, uh, especially in the Old Testament. You know, we, we think, oh, this is the exciting part. Uh, we want to look at the battlefield. Like, that's where the action is happening. Um, but what I like about this story is all the action happens on the hillside, where, like, none of us would look. Um, if we were if we were there, we would think, oh, something's going on here, and God is moving through what's going on on the hillside, um, and that's where the, the real um, action takes place. That's where the real victory is won. Is not where where we would expect. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, loud. <laughs> I love how it it expresses community in a really beautiful way. You need everyone. Yeah. So reflect on the summer just a little bit for me. And, you know, when you think of the power of this, I mean, it is, it's teamwork. There are people who are out fighting, others who are doing the encouraging. So how is this a good story for us to reflect on? And like just the power of this, how have you seen this happen in the lives of the youth ministry this summer? 
And let's just thank God that we had a summer that was yeah. maybe not normal, but it was closer to normal than what we had in 2020, right? I'm tired at the end of the summer, so it's more normal than, than it has been. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got to participate in four different mission efforts this summer, uh, three dedicated weeks and then uh, one every weekly with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, and through all of those, um, me experiencing them for the first time, uh, just getting to see the way that those hillside roles are so vital to what we do and the students do on the ground or on the battlefield, so to speak. Um, I think of people who came and uh, fed us at Mission Memphis, um, parents who drop their kids off uh, every day at work camp, uh, and prayers and donations, things like that, that you may not have a, a student in the youth group, be an adult volunteer, but those are ways that our hands were lifted up as youth ministers um, and as students who were, who were trying to live into the mission of God this summer, and I'm so grateful for that, and it was definitely felt and definitely seen uh, in what we were able to do this summer. Yeah. And I, I went into the summer not really processing or thinking about what the transition was going to be like for us. Uh, this is Logan's first more normal summer, and this is my first summer um, Jim has transitioned to our executive minister and no longer our youth minister. So like he and I are learning how to work with each other. And um, I'm learning what my leadership looks like in a new way. And so going into this summer, I was not ready or had not fully processed what the pandemic had done to us communi communally and how exhausting a normal, more normal summer is. So I go from um, survivor mode, like we're doing what we can to create community on Zoom um, and then in person with mask on to, hey, we're doing a normal summer. We're spending the night for the first time in 18 months and we are go, go, go. And so what does that look like going into it? And for me, having community right there with us was powerful. First of all, our students were so excited to finally be together. And then the, for me, recognizing that day, oh yeah, we haven't spent the night together in forever. This is going to be tiring physically. Am I spiritually prepared for this? And I had community coming along with me like Rachel Galbraith, Shelly Eaton, Latarvis Rule, Logan, and our intern, McLean Ramsey, for our first trip, and then later on with our other intern, Mark Potter, being able to be with us, having those people to be right along and thinking about all of the details, and the community was able to stick together and survive some tiring events as we were serving together. Hey, so we have a video we're going to watch with a few students speaking into it. Do you want to just share a little bit about what to expect in the video? Yeah, so like I said, we, have, we had four different mission efforts that we participated in this summer. So we have one student uh, who uh, was willing to come up and, and speak a little bit on, on camera. Some of them were a little nervous about that, just about their experience in those mission efforts and how they saw God. So thanks to Cooper and Aaron and Donovan and Nyla for being a part of this. I think you'll really see uh, what we did this summer and the ways that God moved through this video. Man, this is awesome. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. So direct your eyes to the screen. My name is Nyla Lee, and I went on high school mission Memphis this year. Hi, my name is Cooper Broden. I participated in the Memphis work camp this year. My name is Donovan Long, and I got, got to go on the middle school mission Memphis. Hi, my name is Aaron Holloman, and this summer I got to be one of the student interns for the youth group.
I saw God working through Mission Memphis, through the people and the worship. And I got to see it through the worship because I've always seen worship as just standing and singing. But through this trip and overall throughout the summer, I've seen that it's much more than that. And on this trip, for the first time ever, I got to lead worship, which is horrifying. Like, I don't know, it was a different experience. But I could feel God in me, but that could have been the butterflies in my stomach. But I know He was there working through us. And I've seen it through the people, by so, because I've seen so many want to help the others around us. And when we were leaving the hostel we were staying at, um, I know Fawn and Miss Jill left some of the food well, the leftover food that we didn't eat for whoever needed it in the hostel, which I thought was so dope. I saw it through the community and how everybody was extremely, uh, like, I don't know, uh, probably enthusiastic, but also just, um, like, happy to be working and to all be together. And we didn't, we had, my group was small and we did not, uh, we didn't have our house all the way finished. And so, Fawn's team, who had lost their house, came to help us, and that was awesome because we matched into like one big team, all working towards a singular goal, and we ended up getting our house finished in time. It looks pretty good. And so the community and just everybody's willingness to work to help somebody was really nice. On my first Mission Memphis, we were interacting with so many people, but on this one, I was kind of working in the background a little bit. We were, I was on the um, standing deck crew, and we were working in the um, back of the hostel and it was this huge deck. And I'm gonna be honest, when I first got there, I was like, wow, like this is gonna take forever. How, how are we gonna get through this? Um, but when we got there and when we started staying in, um, we all were just working together and getting through it. And once we started, it, we realized like this honestly is not gonna take as long as we thought. And we started, you know, talking and laughing and joking around and singing just random songs and having a good old time. And we were, and I realized we were doing a purpose greater than just us. We were helping make something beautiful for the people at the hostel, and I thought that was amazing. One of the many things that we did this summer was that every Thursday morning we got to hang out with the younger kids from the Boys and Girls Club and have a Bible class with them. The way that I saw God through that Bible class, there was multiple ways, but the biggest one was just being able to learn about God through these children and how they learn these stories with fresh eyes. It's always interesting to see the things and stories that they pick out that I hadn't thought about in a while. And I was leading this Bible class for them, but they were also teaching me and teaching me to love others better. And I saw God through my younger siblings, well, not my actual younger siblings, but the people in the grade below me. Um, they, and, they were see, and seeing them serve and pray was just such a great experience. And that's how I saw God. When we were at this organization the next day um, for an organization called Juice, um, we, were, we had to basically start a whole new garden. And we honestly got there and we thought we were just going to have to pull some weeds and plant some seeds or something like that. And it was so much more work than that and we were not expecting all of that. And it was just amazing how all of us were there and none of us were really complaining and 
we just got to work and I was on like the tilling crew I'd say and we had to break up new ground and stuff and I had a lot of experience in that <laughs> with um, working gardens at my house so I say thanks mom and dad for making me work in the garden even though I did not want to. Um, it was just um, cool just seeing how all of us were just working together and really in unity just getting the work done and not making a big fuss about everything. So another thing that I got to do as a student intern that some others didn't get to was we also got to take part in the middle school Mission Memphis and help them with that mission trip as kind of leaders and got to spend time with them through the day and that's what I enjoy about being an intern and about getting to go on the multiple mission trips was that I got to spend time with the younger kids in the youth group and worship with a bigger group of people than I normally would. Uh, Memphis Wood Camp was a great experience and it was, it's nice that we get to go out and help people and I felt good about that. But I also feel like uh, we could be doing even more for our community. 35 or so percent of children in, born in Memphis are born into poverty and 70 percent of them never leave poverty in their entire lives and I feel like as we have things to give and time to give and we have our gifts we could be doing more to help them than just painting the houses as good as that uh, was and as good of experience as it was for the youth group. Together and thank God for all he did this summer in the lives of our youth ministry. So grateful and I've seen that video now multiple times and man my heart's just so encouraged by, by the next generation. I hope yours is too. Their willingness and ability to process faith and the thing about how faith impacts all of the world. I remember especially when I was a student, my kind of understanding of God or what I thought of God was that God was on steroids in the summer and God was on NyQuil in the school year. Like the Spirit of God was at its best in the summer when we were at, you know, at church camp and mission trips and work camp. And then in the school year, it was, you know, God was just kind of on cruise control until we got to experience some of those other things. And I think the best way to think about a summer is that a summer prepares us to meet God everywhere else we go in life. So for the students, what I would encourage you with is the same God who trusted you with paintbrushes and hammers and microphones in front of Boys and Girls Club kids is the same God who trusts you in school cafeterias and hallways and relationships that you're going to engage in from now all the way until next summer. I want to speak just to those of you who may be with us this morning, either in person or online, that you feel like you're just in a place of vulnerability and weakness. And I know the church, we, we try to live in relationship in the kind of way that we know when people are weak, so we are going to step in and try to do something about it. And then there are times we just aren't aware of weakness. So if there's something we can do to help lift up your hands to encourage you in life, at sycamoreview.org, right when you click on our website, there are, there are ways you can give us specific ways to come alongside of you. Or this morning, we will have an elder who will be outside of this room to the right to receive you for prayer or anything else we can do for you. As we come to the com communion today, to take the body and to remember the cup, when I think of Moses, his hands being lifted up is a sign of victory. There's no other sign, no greater sign in the entire Bible of 
hands raised in victory than what we see Jesus with on the cross, where hands are extended. Where in a way for Jesus, it was a moment of vulnerability and weakness. But it was a moment of victory that has given salvation, redemption, relationship to people all over the world. So today I want us to take the bread and the cup in victory over all our circumstances. We serve one who in this meal gives us the strength right, to make it through each day. So let's bow our heads and let's give God thanks for everything God has done in and through Jesus. Jesus, for all you have done, all you have accomplished, we give you thanks. I pray that in this meal today that we won't just take this as a moment that happened years ago, but that we will be reminded of its power and how that power is interjected into our lives right now. So we take with grateful hearts, with joyful hearts, in the name of Jesus. Amen.